He's right. We are the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams. Welcome to the Alex cast. My name is Alex. This works out really well. Because if my name was anything but Alex, this would be a very ill-named show. But the world works in the way that the world works. And I find myself hosting a show called the Alex cast. You find yourself listening to a show that's cast from a man named Alex. Kind of beautiful in the end, isn't it? Not really. But it's fun to think about. Nope, not either. I'm rolling solo tonight, and there's some things I want to talk to you about. This isn't one of those shows where I don't have anything and I waste time for an hour. Actually, I do have a bunch of stuff, so let's get this thing started off. We're going to start with a call. I Actually, this might be a theme show. Who knows? Who knows how it works? Tonight we're going to be talking a lot about synchronicities. We're going to talk about world creation. He explains the quote in the beginning. We are going to be talking about being the creators of our own universe. We are we are universe creators. We choose the universe that we live in and our perception of the things that exist therein. And by those perceptions we create reality. And by those reality we create other perceptions. And so many times you find yourself looking into your own creation thinking it's real. Thinking that we are in fact living in a mechanistic universe that's controlled by the forces of physics and simple A to B narratives. And I don't believe in that. I know we live in a world full of synchronicities and and coincidences. And the tiniest little things falling into the tiniest little cracks to make something easier for someone else. And I'll get into that later. It might not make sense. I'll get into that later, but let's play a couple uh, phone calls that we got. Now let's start with this one. Because this is from Mr. Brett. You know him as altered underscore one on Twitter. Hey, what's up, Alex? This is Brett, also known as Altered One on Twitter. The similarities and differences between synchronicities and magic, like chaos magic are. I was wondering if you thought that magic was something like synchronicities. As an example, if I really attach a lot of meaning to an orange plastic dinosaur, I'm going to start seeing them everywhere. In that same sense, is magic like if you do a ritual, you're sort of programming your mind to focus on whatever the outcome of the ritual is. Anyway, what are your thoughts on that? I'd just like to know. Later, buddy. Well, thank you very much for the call. I apologize for the random noise in the middle of that. My microphone did something untoward. I'm going to be suing it for sexual harassment. 
He's asking me about synchronicities. He's asking me about the outcome of chaos magic. I've also been asked about synchronicities from a lovely young woman. Now, I happen to have a, uh, what one would call a, a girlfriend-like object in the universe. I'll pause for a second as you all catch your breath. One, and saying, but Alex, how could you not be completely alone? This is strange. And then two, wait, Alex, you're talking about some kind of relationship in the air. No, I'm not. What I am saying, however, is that this lovely girlfriend-like person recommended I watch a TED Talk by Amy Tan, her lady that wrote The Joy Luck Club. You may have heard of her. Uh, I've certainly not read The Joy Luck Club. I read a short story of hers when I was in college for writing. I don't even remember the short story, but I did remember her name. Anyway, this TED Talk went into Amy Tan talking about perception of creativity and how synchronicity, coincidence, and kind of world building play into the creative state. Where does creativity come from? Is it an internal thing? Is it a product of the mind? Is it a product of a Newtonian system in which you just have a brain that evolved and that brain's evolution is so sophisticated that creativity has spawned from it? Is this a reaction from the God source? Is this, is this source enacting upon humanity through you? Are we but humble puppets on strings, playing out some kind of dance for a creator, saying that they want this book written? Are the creative types the type that look for synchronicities and because they're looking, find them? Or are we, because I can tell you right now, I see coincidences everywhere. Synchronicities follow me like it's my job. Um, in fact, the other night, how coincidental is this? I referred to myself as being some kind of like sprocket Buddha, some kind of, some kind of cog Christ, where I'm in the middle of these weird machines and I watch the two sides connect and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But if you step back and look and you go, oh, that's why, you know, that's why, that's why one group walked this way, another group walked this way, and I walked in between making a loud noise and they looked at each other. And it makes no sense, and but it is just a strange kind of synchronicity in which they look towards each other and completely forget about the reasoning behind it, completely forget about the noisemaker in the middle, the Sprocket Buddha, which is now my name. Uh, I don't know why there's a Sprocket, but I thought it sounded better than Cog Christ. So, you know, I do have a messianic complex, but that's only because I have long hair and I'm 33. So, back to Brett's question. Is the result of magical ritual... Are you just training your brain to see synchronicities? Or, you know, is there something more? I think this is the ultimate question about any kind of occult or um, magical practice. Or really any kind of creative practice, to go back to the Amy Tan thing. What I think is happening, and by what I think is happening is this. Let me explain. I don't necessarily believe in gravity on any given day. So um, the ability to hold two separate and uh, disparate thoughts in my head at the same time, uh, it's something I'm quite good at. So keep that in mind. I I tend to think this. On the creative side, I, I kind of go with the, when you're a universe builder, like when you're a writer, you do kind of train your brain. Like writing as a ritual, writing as a creative force, writing as a magical act, trains your brain to see the forces at work. I think we're constantly in this massive stream of coincidence and synchronicity. And we're blind to it because we're not seeing, we're not seeing the world for as it is. We're seeing the world for as it's been described. We're seeing the world as a mechanistic Newtonian forces moving forward. We see it as a, you drop a ball bearing on an inclined plane and the ball bearing will roll downwards. 
what I think would happen, and, and Amy Tan talks about it as like a, you know, the, the Eastern philosophy probably sees it a little bit easier. And we're, okay, coincidentally enough, I was just talking to my buddy Colin about this, about how that ability to, of the Eastern mind to hold maybe logic, to, to have, to not have what we would call logical or rational thought, which sounds insulting. I don't mean it that way. It's actually quite sophisticated. It is the ability to have a, not a binary yes or no, but to be able to have that tertiary concept, that maybe, that between state. So what I think happens in the, in the, the writing work, that kind of ritual and the creation of books and the creation of poetry is you're imbuing the work with the synchronicities that led to the work. So by, by enacting it, you're becoming aware of it. it. It's almost as if, um, I mean, I guess you could say swimming. Um, you could look at a pool and see the pool, but it, when you're swimming in the pool, there's an entirely different set of, entirely different set of sense data that's being sent into you. And you're creating, you, that sense data is being created by you, but then you're creating the sense data back in that you can, you can move the water. Your perturbations are its perturbations. You are part of the field. It's if you equate it to gravity, you know, gra uh, gravity is, 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 is mass enacted on the universe. It's actually warping space time. You're the gravity of you writing, the gravity of your creation is warping space time around you and pulling in as if by gravity, synchronicities and coincidences. Ritual work is to me like that. And you can take that as a, as a psychological thing. You can take that as a standard model of physics way of viewing things that all you're doing is training your brain on a psychological way to look for these coincidences. And then you become a coincidence recognizer. You know, that is, that is now your job. A, a person that walks around and recognizes coincidence. And I think that's an aspect of it for a lot of people. And, but I also think there is a possibility that we really do beyond a metaphor create our reality. We really are world builders. We are world creators. And to do magical works, I think is on a, on a fundamental way, changing the way that you view reality, which allows for the reality to change around you. It's like being in a pool. It's, it's if you believe you're doing a backstroke, you're now moving through the water while simultaneously moving the water. So magical work is molding the universe to your will but by your will the universe molds but by the universe your will can mold it's a simultaneous thing is this because that's why i went back to the eastern philosophies you're holding two things at once it's you're you're simultaneously being altered while altering you are you are you are the sinking gravity from you're the mass sinking into into the into the, the universe. You are the gravitational pull from, from mass. You are the disturbance of the space time. So if you want to say that synchronicity or coincidence is something observable, sure. But if you want to go to the quantum level, the observation of the thing creates the thing or changes its outcome. 
So your observation of the thing changes the thing. So you are creating the thing. You are God in this situation. And I don't mean you're God like in some kind of egotistical way. You're not God in that you have a beard and a long robe or any kind of ability to, to reach your hand down from the heavens. And you're not, you're, you know, you're not eternal, or at least you're not one, you know, immediately aware of your eternal nature. So what we're, this is the this is so hard to the concept go the concept is yes for both of them you're both just training your brain to see synchronicities and you're also warping your reality to allow for synchronicities to happen if i don't start this show i don't have the relationship i have now if i don't start this show i don't have the books i have now like and that's not like a Oh, this helped you out. And yeah, there is a, a level of like, I have, I have been improved by being, by forcing myself to show myself to the world and, and moving that way. And, but I've also been influenced. I've also influenced the universe to allow for this community to build around me or for me to build the universe around myself or for the universe and the community to pre-exist and then have my sprocket Christ. Oh no, wait, no, it's cog Christ sprocket my sprocket buddha self fall in and connect these two disparate sides on um on the on the yellow plastic dinosaurs which is from periphery my last book i wrote about how the how the, the seers of the periphery start having this coincidence factor that follows them around and the metaphor I used for that, not the metaphor, the, the symbol I used for that was that for some reason, little orange plastic dinosaurs kept showing up in, in the gutters and just randomly would appear around for the characters. I invented that. That's not, never happened to me. I just thought, I mean, I know why I chose that as a symbol. I'm not going to explain it because it's not my job to explain it. You know, um, that, that book's for you to read. You know, I already wrote it, but it wasn't a thing for my life. I didn't, I didn't pull that from memory. I just, it, I, I invented it. After the book came out, I started to have run-ins with plastic dinosaurs being found in gutters. And we talked about this, um, when Mike from the Wodcast was on, we were talking about this, that that book was full of coincidences that spoke directly to him from the choice of, from the choice of drink, uh, and one of the, one of the characters to the location of the piece to, you know, to the coincidence factor to the, you know, the totality of it, you know, so it's strange. And then I found a plastic dinosaur and I found another one. Four of my, four of my listeners, four of my readers have found one. So there's now been eight or nine different examples. I think, I think we're at nine now. People finding a small orange dinosaur. Well, they're not all orange, to be fair. Let's not skew the results of this sample. They found small dinosaurs somewhere out of nowhere that, you know, unexplainably. How do we explain that? Now, you could say that there's always been random plastic dinosaurs laying in gutters, and we just weren't there to see them because we weren't, our awareness wasn't drawn to them because we didn't have our awareness pointed at them. Sure. But I'm of the mindset that, like, I remember when I see shit on the ground, I make a note of it. In Portland, there's a lot of, like, they tie these little plastic horses to the little rings in the 
in the curbs. Like I guess they're the old horse tie-ups or something. I have no idea what these rings are meant for, but if you look up on the internet, I type in, you know, uh, Portland, Oregon plastic horses. It's some art project of some kind. I noticed those. I, I remember seeing a G.I. Joe. I remember one time I saw a Smurf. It's not that I don't remember running into these things, but for some reason, plastic dinosaurs started showing up. So why is that? I would have seen it before, but now, now they're happening. Did I create a universe? And I had a lot of emails. Not a lot, but for the amount of books I've sold, there's been a statistically large amount of emails and contact that I've gotten from my readers that have told me how much that book spoke to the things that they see and how much that book affected the way they see other things. And going back to the Amy Tan TED Talk is that that synchronicity, that that I became part of that world by creating that world, that I actually put myself in the universe that Periphery takes place in. It's pretty interesting to me. Or that's the universe that we exist in, you know, currently, and we've just tricked ourselves into not seeing it. That we're, you know, we're constantly in a stream of coincidences and synchronicities, and we just don't have eyes to see. But that's the phrase, we don't have eyes to, do, to see. You know, For those who have eyes to see, you'll notice these things. And that goes back to periphery. That I've only had, I think, two people do it so far, but I embedded that book with a whole bunch of secrets. Then once you read it the first time, you get it, and, and you know, you, you can freak out and email me and go, hey, I found a dinosaur, and I'll find it fun. And it's great. Synchronicities will abound in your life. You will, you will become a weirder person by reading Periphery. I guarantee you that. But the few people that read it the second time, as I've, as I've mentioned on the show before, find out that they didn't have the eyes to see. There was a lot of information that I, that I laid out there for you directly. I said it. I gave, I gave you all the secrets. You just didn't know how to read them yet. And then when you read it the second time, you'll notice that there was a lot of hidden plastic dinosaurs you didn't notice the first time around. So, did I perform a magic spell? Did I affect your world? Or did I just draw your attention to the pre-existing world? I don't know if I can answer that. Because the thing is, I did affect your world. You're now, a person, you're now a different person. You're now a person that read that book. You're now a person that read a book that you like so much that you started reading it again. So, your life is changed. You are affected on even a small level. So, did we create a new universe together? Or did we just draw attention on a psychological level to something that's coincidental? I don't know if you can answer. And I don't know if you can answer ritually. Because I think ritually, or, or magically, whichever way you want to say, it doesn't matter. It's belief that matters. So, if you believe that you're running into coincidences, if you believe a magical spell worked, it did. Because there's no reason not to. We're not living in, going back to arguing with my friend Colin, we're not living in a world where we have to have an A to B linear correlation. We don't have to believe that logic has to be one or zero, on or off, yes or no. So performing ritual, praying, supplicating yourself before the deity, before the source, if something comes of it, then something comes of it because you have the eyes to see it. So it's true. If it's a coincidence, you have the eyes to see coincidence. If it's you, having created a new universe, you have the ability to create a new universe. It's still the exact same thing. And if you didn't believe in it, if it wasn't true to you, if that wasn't your truth, then you never would have seen it. 
because it wouldn't have occurred to you. You wouldn't have had the eyes that see. So, we are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. We create the universe. And in that universe, synchronicities. I get to be the sprocket Buddha. I get to have a girlfriend-like person send me a video that she had to watch for school the day I'm doing a show about coincidences. In that video, Amy Chan talks and she uses quantum theory as a metaphor to talk about her writing. That's periphery. The entire thing is... And here's the thing is, girlfriend-like object didn't... I didn't even mean to call her an object, just girlfriend-like saying something like implied hyphen, you want to say object because it's like Earth-like object or, or a planetoid-like, you know. No, you don't. Backing up a second. She, she is not red periphery yet because of the whole going to school and being busy thing. So she sends me this thing that, that there's, there's layers of weirdness embedded in that video, layers of coincidence that's directly related to my life, my work, to this other woman that I don't know her work that well. I just I know the one piece. I know she read the Joe, she wrote the Joe Luck Club. I know she was on an episode of The Simpsons, and I think I read a short story by her when I was in college. And I was in college a really fucking long time ago. But I have a feeling I did. In fact, I think I even remember the class I was in, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. That's weird. And that's synchronicity. But also, I called into being a universe in which someone like that could exist in. I told you guys this before. I told you that at one point I, I, I desperately asked the universe for help. I said, deliver, deliver me from this universe. And in the form of an Egyptian goddess called Sekhmet. Go back and listen to old episodes. You understand what the fuck I'm talking about. This concept was relayed. Did I create this universe in which randomly I can have somebody recommend Amy Tan to me on the day they can do an episode? Did I create a universe in which random plastic dinosaurs exist in random gutters? I don't know. But I think if I did create a universe, I think I'd create a universe that'd be pretty similar to this one. It'd be close. There'd be some, there'd be some changes. There'd be some, one, I wouldn't be destitute, uh, poor is the word. Two, that's right, the main one, um, cause then I would, I'd probably have a private jet uh, not for monetary concerns, but I need to go places quickly, and that would make things a lot easier. And I probably... That's about it. Now, this would be really close to the universe I'd create. I mean, obviously, the pollution thing and the 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 war and all that, all that stuff that I don't, you know, that I would like to stop. But, like, let's face it, I'm not that good of a magician. You know, the universe I'm creating, I can barely keep my feet on the fucking ground. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm grasping at straws to pay rent. Like, I can't, I can't be worrying about Darfur. I'm sorry, guys. You know, maybe if one of these times these fucking rituals work for something other than a stupid goddamn fucking dinosaur in a gutter by some fucking idiot I'll never meet from Ohio. Sorry, idiot, I'll never meet from Ohio. I don't even know if you're from Ohio. And I don't remember your name, but you emailed me and it was a really nice thing. You showed me a picture of the dinosaur you found, so I take everything I just said back. But I thought it'd be funny to, after all this sweet talk about creating the universe, get mad at a, at a deity that I haven't named. Because I'm Alex, and this is the Alex cast. And I like to, I like to offset beautiful, sweet, and, um, and deep philosophical concepts about the creation of the universe. And, you know, about the subjectivity of it. Whether this is a, a, a 
like a, a, a I don't know the words for things. Oh, that would have been cool if I figured that out right there. What's that called when solipsist? If this is a solipsist or a transcendentalist universe, if you are a god or if everything is a god, or is it atheistic where there is no god or there's no hope for god? I don't know. I don't know. But either way, that's what I talked about for right there. That is synchronicity. And who knows what that is? I'm going to check my Twitter feed right now. Hold on, guys. All right. There wasn't any synchronicities on my Twitter that I checked. Well, there was a tweet from somebody that her name is Synchronicity. I, I'm not going to spell that for you. Um, maybe I'll put it in show notes, but that's not surprising because um, she responds to stuff from Martin and Altered One, who we just had the question from, and myself pretty often. So that's not coincidental or synchronicity. It's literally a Twitter handle. Martin is. Martin J. Clemens, who can be found at martinjclemens.com or paranormalpeopleonline.com for a while. He's switching names to, he's um redoing his brand. So check out martinjclemens.com. I think it's live. If that doesn't go there, go to Paranormal People Online. Martin's a wonderful man and a talented writer, and I want you guys to visit him and enjoy. Speaking of being part of the creative source and trying to do other things and such. So that was fun. Um, let's play the other one. So actually Brett called again. Uh, that, that last message he left was from last week. He was a little late to the party. So this is what he left this week. Actually, I haven't listened to this one. Um, oh wait, no, was that the one from this week? Oh, yeah, that was, oh wait, let me play the one from last week. What am I playing? Alex, Alex, I found out recently that uh while whilst talking to the person I just referenced, I don't want to keep saying oh I didn't say her name. Cool. That doesn't matter. So I was talking to oh now this is weird. I don't know what I'm supposed to refer to. Hmm. Put myself in a I put myself in a bit of a quandary here. This is the reason I never bring up any kind of relationships I'm in on the air because I never know I don't know what to say because I don't really want to tell you guys anything because it's none of your fucking business. But you know something that takes up that amount of that amount of my thinking and time it's not like, I mean, I got nothing but time, so let's just go thinking. Um, you tend to, like, want to bring up in the show, but then you, you're, you like, playing this dance of, like, you don't want to bring civilians on because, I mean, let's face it, a lot of you guys are kind of jerks out there. Like, you say really mean shit, um, I get I, I get threatened, and it's just, you know, you don't want to keep that apart. But anyway, um, I found out recently that I actually do have quite a bit of a Jersey accent. I say a certain name with a thing, uh, 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 this weird kind of nasal A. Um, I mean, I, I think it might be adorable. I'll, I'll give myself that, but it, I don't talk on the phone that often. So this is a, this is a new thing to have casual conversation. And I, I found out that I do still hold far more remnants of my East Coast youth than I had previously thought. Although last night, coincidentally, um, my friend Jess and I were talking about the fact that I can't say forget about it in that uh, stereotypical New Jersey mafia way, where they're like, forget it, forget, forget about it, but with the D and U sounds. I didn't just fuck that up for uh, effect. I really did just stumble, because I feel like there should be an extra, because I say forget about it. If I say that quicker, I actually just sound, I sound like I had a stroke. But anyway. I don't know what's going on with. Oh, I was just saying my accent because I said like an e thing. Yeah. So here, look, let's play something from Brett again. Hey, what's up, Alex? 
known as the Altered One. I was just wondering if you remember the story from the Schrodinger's Cat Trilogy uh, by Robert Anton Wilson, and particularly the scene where um, they are talking at the party, and um, they're talking about the kind of thought exercise where one person pretends to be a hyper-intelligent intergalactic species who's telling Earthlings how to solve all their problems. I was wondering if you wanted to play that, and you take on the role of the hyper-intelligent intergalactic species, and give us some ideas on how we can solve our problems. Thanks, Alex. Later, dude. We thank you. I don't remember that scene, um, but that sounds fun. I can certainly do that. Everybody at home, I was actually listening. Shout out to Higher Side Chats. Uh, I did an appearance on there a few weeks ago, or you know, probably like a month, two months ago at this point. But um, he was talking about how it is just shows my age and how long I've been in this weird world. But like this kind of, I started my route down weirdness, conspiracy theory ways in. Um, I was 12, I think, so 1992-ish, uh, 1993, somewhere around there, that, um, yeah, 1993, who cares? Uh, I started this, I read Umberto Eco's Foucault's Pendulum, and they referenced Freemasons and stuff, and then I uh, read Claude Riel, he's this uh, French contactee slash weirdo, he believes that the, um, aliens come down and clone us, and blah, 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 and that got me into David Icke. And then I just went down the whole conspiracy thing. So I, I'm, I'm going this way because, um, Greg from Higher Side Chats made a reference that like people nowadays when they get into conspiracy, you have to go through Alex Jones. Not have to go through, but it seems like that's one of the things you hear a lot or that horrible Zeitgeist movie, which not horrible, but there was a lot of just, um, poor use of what I'll loosely call logic. I just feel bad having to go through Alex Jones on that because what I got was a training in all the background. I know a shitload about Freemasons, the Illuminati. I know a ton about, you know, the Bilderberg group, the, the, just vast swaths of weirdness was in my head and I was super interested in it. And then, uh, my brother who, I mean, I guess I'd kind of heard about this guy before. Not my brother. I've known him since I was born, but the guy I'm about to mention. Um, I'd heard about him before. I never really got into it. But my brother turned me on to Robert Anton Wilson because there was a uh, clip of him on YouTube. I forget which one it was. And some of the ways he thought, this is not, uh, I never know how to say this because it sounds like I'm trying to like take credit for someone else's thought, but it's just, he thought in a way very similar to me. I don't mean to say that like, I mean, obviously he came first, but I guess maybe other thinkers had, that he influenced, I was aware of their work or whatever. Anyway, the point is he had a lot of similar way, views of reality. His model of reality seemed very similar to mine. So I read um, the Quantum Trigger books, the three Quantum Trigger books, which are fucking brilliant. There is nonfiction stuff, and I love it. I love his, um, I love his, uh, his, his talks. I don't like his fiction, and I know it's silly and it's unfortunate, but I don't like his fiction. Well, the reason I went back to the Alex Jones thing, and one, I just wanted to shout out the higher side chats, but two, um, we should go through Robert Anton Wilson because he gives you a view that's much more reasonable for all this shit. He makes it the combination of absurd and probably true that mirrors reality in a really, really kind of elegant and satisfactory way. So go through Robert Arrington Wilson is the key, and I would recommend his nonfiction work. But the reason I said that is because 
I did read his fiction work, but I don't really remember it that well. I, I did the Illuminatus trilogy and there's parts that were fine. And I like some of the philosophy, but I just, I just don't think he's that strong of a fiction writer to tell the truth. He's got way too, and he talks about it in his, in his, in his live talks and, and some of it in the nonfiction, but he's got way too much of an attraction to that Irish storyteller thing, which Irish storytellers to me, I immediately start thinking, oh, just shut up already. Oh, stop. I don't need that fucking detail. Oh, you're still going. Like those monologuists, like those ones that are like, they're supposed to be comedians or like you just get stuck in that thing where everybody tells this eight minute joke. And it's like a street joke that I could have, I could have pared down to under a minute and it's just eight minutes of, well, then Father McKinley slowly walked into the bar and he looked deep into his shot glass of whiskey, pulling it slowly to his Father McKinley lips. And the bartender says, I bet you that... And I bet on my mother's eyes because Begorin Saints must have did 15 minutes later, you hear, because it's a 12-inch pianist. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, dude. I knew that joke in fucking 1986, and it took 47 seconds to tell, you long-winded jerk-off. So anyway, it's my view of Irish storytelling. It's also why I don't like James Joyce, which Robert Aaron Wilson loves James Joyce. This is the fundamental disagreement with us. Um, anyway, so I don't like his fiction. Play the hyper-intelligent alien that has come down at a dinner party to try to help humanity and tell them what's wrong and what are the things to fix. Sure. Oh, you probably want me to do this in English. <laughs> My apologies. You ape people are funny. You've got this weird predilection that you just assume that there'd be some ability for us to communicate between each other. I've been... Even the idea, it's farcical that even making a silly noise could be true. Why would vocal cords exist? Why would anything we recognize as, as communication be, be what they use to communicate with each other? Why is even communication a thing? It's an abstract concept that we're aware of from Earth. Why does, why, why does there need to be a distance between two things to bridge that distance with any form of sound, movement, or, or otherwise, or, or, uh, frequencies of water? No. Who knows? Maybe, maybe on that planet, everything is instantaneous. Maybe everything's backwards on that planet. Maybe they don't think. Maybe the objects that we would have thought of would appear instantaneously, and then they have to evolve in a way to explain the object that has appeared instantaneously. And so they have a form of reverse thought that we couldn't possibly understand and we wouldn't recognize. I also would doubt the fact that we'd even know what we're looking at. How do we know that? I think this is from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. How do we know that there's not a hyper-intelligent shade of blue and that there's no way for us to ever interact with it because there's no way for them to interact with us because we wouldn't even recognize each other as anything remotely uh, familiar if concepts such as recognize familiar remotely or a sense of I enough to have the thoughts of that. Um, you should read Renata Cart Meditations. It's uh, That's the one with Kojido Ergo Sum. I think therefore I am in it where he postulates that there's no way of knowing anything. You don't even know if you exist, except during the utterance of I think, therefore I am. Because during that utterance, there is an implication that there is an I because something must be making the observation. <laughs> this is a long way around. I guess I was trying to put myself in a hyper-intelligent mindset. So, so okay, assuming I speak English, I'm on Earth. Uh, I mean, the obvious thing is, is the acceptance that we are living in a complete, uh, farce that our reality is dictated by us and that what we think is real is not 
not that, oh, look, look at these monkeys that are killing each other. It is you would instantaneously solve it or you should instantaneously solve it. It is one of those things where you would say, well, what would happen to this? What would happen to that? How do we solve these things? Well, no, if, if, if there was ability to think as one, you would say, well, no, that's just we solve it. So, for instance, there's people that can't eat food. So what you would do is give them food. Well, where does the money come from? It doesn't. Money's fake. So how do you pay back debtors? Why would you pay them back? We, we don't exist that way. All you have to do is have everybody sit down and agree on everything, which of course is impossible. But I think as an alien coming down, I think that would be a hard thing for anybody to understand. How, like, wipe yourself away from this world, you show up, right? How can you possibly explain putting fast-moving bits of lead into one another based on a book that's 2,000 years old that you're not actually fighting over that's based on land rights that were started after a world war that had nothing to do with the religions that are fighting supposedly over the land it's fucking absurdity so uh if i was a hyper intelligent alien that came down and wanted to solve the world's problems i would say hey you have to stop inventing all these problems like you know it's like a really good thing if you're like oh well the sovereign debt of no there's none like we can't, we can't get, you know, solar panels everywhere and have, you know, uh, stop running the planet because there's a lot of money in gas and oil. Well, no, just, no, there isn't anymore. But what, what happens to all those people that work there? Well, then we just feed them. Where's that money going to come from? Because there is no money. Money's pointless. Why, why is there money? It's, it's invented. It's trade. It's, 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 it's invention. But what if somebody doesn't want to work? Well, then they don't want to work. They don't work. What if somebody wants to work? Well, then they work. Everybody just lives and it'd be perfect. It wouldn't work because we're, we're apes and we're angry, but I think an alien I th- would have a really hard time figuring that out. I also think uh, a hyper-intelligent alien would come down, and one of the main things uh, that they would probably recommend to fix us is to uh, tell us how the fuck to get off the planet. If we had the ability to move somewhere else, a lot of the problems of this world would be really, really, really easy to solve. Um, like... For instance, I know there's the old uh, Sam Kinison bit of, you know, when he talks about poor people will move where the fucking food is. If we had the unlimited resources of other planets, and I know it sucks that we're going to turn into world-devouring, essentially human insects and just gnaw our way across the totality of everything until eventually, like the Langoliers, we just eat all reality and somehow Bronson Pinchot is there. So I would say that I would probably give them the secrets to my ship, and I'd give them to everybody, equally. Uh, I would also point out that I don't know what I would do. That's it. I think that's the best idea I have is try to make, try to make the monkeys realize how much of this is just, is, is artificial, is implied problems, which don't actually exist. You know, the military industrial complex is based around a series of suppositions that don't actually make any sense. We're fighting wars for beliefs that don't agree with ours, even though they don't agree with ours on another level. Like, it's yeah, and there's no reason to try to break it down. But the point is, um, if I was a hyper intelligent alien, I'd probably try to you know really force that. Also, I would uh, probably just give some space hats to everybody that would like um, show how stupid uh, the world we're running is now, and then everybody can go like, oh wow, we're being really stupid, and then that'd be good. But it doesn't that probably wouldn't work with the whole communication thing. But space hats that somehow teach you new thoughts—that's the shit right there. That's the future, everybody. Invest space hats. Yeah, so now, without further interruption, let me just get to the kind of the highlight part of the show that I know everybody loves. The jaw-dropping, pants-filling wonderland that is 
my talking about the Standard Bar in Portland, Oregon. I love the Standard. I do. It's a wonderful place. If you go there, you'll be filled with a warmth and a love that you haven't felt since you were in utero. Come to the amniotic fluid-like locale that is 14 Northeast 22nd in Portland, Oregon. Feel the umbilical cord-like nutrients that come from inexpensive beer, liquor, delicious food, and wonderful, wonderful people with plenty to do. Six pinball games. There's a buck hunter machine. There's a there's video lottery. There's some others. There's a pool table. There's a patio on which to smoke. It is like your mother's womb. You know what? With the smoking and the pinball. This I'll be I'll be fair. This analogy kind of didn't go like exactly where I wanted it, but. Where I want you to go, like if we get back on track, is facebook.com slash the standard PDX. Facebook.com slash the standard PDX. Please click like and then leave a little note saying Alex sent you. I don't think anybody's ever done that, but it'd be cool if you did. Um, or you can go to my page, facebook.com slash alexcast, like, like there too. And then you can tell me you like me there. That'd be lovely. Send pictures of plastic dinosaurs. Yes. So the standard. It is good. There are vast amounts of fun uh, drink deals available, such as Sunday nights. You can have for $2, that's two American dollars. That probably translates to some amount of money in other countries. A microbrew beer, craft brew, delicious beer for $2. You know, on Wednesdays, you can get a pint of hams fresh from the tap for $1. That's 16 ounces of domestic you know, tolerable, you know, whatever, drink for $1. All the standard, 14 Northeast 22nd, facebook.com slash the standard PDX. Come, enjoy. In fact, feel loved. Feel the love of the uterus bar. I don't really know what's happening anymore. Everything smells like burning toast. So, all right, that was the standard spot. Hope you guys like that. Um... I'm not going to say it's the weirdest stand, uh, standard spot I ever did, because I know at one point, I think I started comparing the place to Nazi Germany, but it was like a positive comparison. I don't know how that happened. Um, yeah. It, here's the here's the good thing about that, is that the guy that owns the place, Reed, wonderful man, but he doesn't listen to the show. So I think a lot of this doesn't get back to him. But then he misses out a lot of the other things, like we had songs about the standard. Remember that time I sung um, to R.E.M.'s Stand the Standard? That was fun. Everybody liked that. And by everybody, I mean me and whoever else was in studio. I don't know. Speaking of which, I ran into into Steph, who you may remember from the show as being Steph. And she is probably going to come back on and uh, say hello to you guys. So it'll be fun. I don't know if it'll be fun, but it'll be a thing. So good job. Anyway, moving on. Let us play another voicemail. This is from Nathan Stellhorn. And the reason I'm playing him now is because he is a pinball player. And I know him from the standard. And since I brought up pinball, I brought up the standard. And he also has a womb. I don't, yeah, there's no way to reconnect that. So let us play this call. Uh, thank you. Hey, Alex. My name's Nate, uh, Stillhorn. I'm calling Africa. Now, I left that in because 
as proof that that phone call just died. The rest of it was another minute 50 something of random. It went like this. Hey, Alex, Nate, I'm here and doing the. And the really Portland thing is that we can go and kind of. I don't know what that was. I'm going to guess some kind of phone issue. I don't really know much about phones. But now I do. Well, that, um, that was that. I'm saying a little disappointed. I should have checked first. But I saw it was a two-minute phone call. I just assumed it all would have worked. Um, do I have anything? Oh, good. I do have another... Fortunately, the rest of the questions I have are of a kind of, well, they're on a kind of sexual, joking around note. I don't particularly, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I don't really talk sex on this show unless it's it's from a completely joking around level. And I don't want to be asked specific questions. Now, maybe I'll have to answer. But anyway, we have one more real question. From Bricks and Bullets, that is a podcast um, that exists Bricks and at Bricks and Bullets. They, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's so weird talking about podcasts because like, like everybody you know has one. And not, nothing against these guys. Like I'm sure they're wonderful. But like, it, like I think I maybe listened to one when when we first started following each other. But like I don't really know at all <laughs> it's kind of weird because it's like all right should you pretend that you've listened should you like what happened because i know i know there's people i know there's a lot of my followers on twitter at the alex cast they've never heard the show like i'm I'm well familiar with this i don't, I don't really get it i don't like if you don't if you don't listen to the show you haven't read my book i mean i guess maybe i put some amusing tweets out but it's it seems a strange one but anyway uh they're they're funny guys on twitter i can give them that they um they favorite my stuff which i like it's by the way, if you ever want to somehow get mentioned on the show, just click favorite a bunch and eventually I'll bring you up. So, Bricks and Bullets asks, as a writer, what movies, screenwriters, what movies slash screenwriters have dialogue that inspires you? It's a damn good question. Um, okay, let me start with the weird uh, side of this. Kevin Smith. I know, that's a fucking weird answer. However, let me explain. I don't know why I would say let me explain. It's my goddamn show and you don't have the ability to interrupt me. I got into, so Kevin Smith is exactly age appropriate for me. Clerks came out, um, I, I mean, I guess Clerks came out in 94-ish. So I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So that level of kind of potty comedy really spoke to me deeply. And, uh, that idea of, I don't know, that idea of slackerdom, of being kind of a shiftless, funny person, it just, I don't know, it just it related. But Kevin Smith's dialogue really gave me this concept of that you can write you can write like the way that you and your friends fuck around not to say at 14 i was saying anything particularly witty or um or or full of you know interesting words or really anything that anybody would ever want to listen to but it did kind of introduce me to that topic that you don't have to have this over dramatic or like overplayed form of dialogue when writing and this is when i was younger i used to be into film writing that was that's what i thought i was going to do and the earliest film thing I wrote, which I've referenced on the show before, is called Three Idiots and a Spider Monkey, aka the movie that Monty Python had absolutely nothing to do with. And the whole the whole movie was just you know, insider not inside jokes, but kind of pop culture jokes and just silliness. And but the dialogue was 
very much Kevin Smith oriented, you know, quick, kind of concise, jokey, dirty stuff. And that was the one that really got me moving down that path. And not to say that directly influenced any of the way that I write now, but that kind of introduced this concept, which leads directly into a lot of other kind of schools. You know, when it, by the time I got to the, like the beats, which were the huge influence on my writing, that idea of freeform, that idea of kind of writing from a place of kind of, like especially dialogue, writing from a place of real life slash hyper, hyper real, you know, kind of real but better, you know, uh, people that have uh, qu quicker words, people that speak with a little bit more poetry. And I dig that a lot. And that kind of moved there. But now, and this is the reason I kind of want to answer this, is uh, Wes Anderson. Which I know, you're like, Wes Anderson, why would you say that? Because dialogue is stupid in the movies. But I love it. Wes Anderson is the other side of it. Where it is so, so perfectly perfect. It is The characters are so stilted in their perfect cuteness. And the dialogue is so great. You know, uh, when, uh, when they ask, uh, in Royal Tenenbaums, where they ask, um, Bill Murray, uh, Raleigh Sinclair, they go, uh, about Dudley, the little boy that he's, uh, he's writing a book on. You go, can he tell time? And Murray just going, oh, good God, no. This, that's not a great example, actually. That was kind of terrible. It was more the can he tell time. It's that perfect chunk setup that moves past, um, there's the part with um, with uh, Royal talking to Chaz, uh, Ben Stiller's character, where they're talking about uh, Royal was trying. They were talking about how Royal shot him with a BB gun when he was younger. And there's just I don't know. There's like this really perfect. I, oh man, I wish I could describe this better. There's a the economy of language. That's what I'm trying to say. The economy of language to get across really kind of nuanced emotions while sounding still sounding. Pretty, you know, they're still holding a poetry, a, 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 a lyricism. Yeah, that's super. Yeah, I really dig on that a lot. Um, it's not that it, it's not that it inspires me, but it, it gives me a, uh, it gives me a place where I can kind of look and go, like, well, that's that's where like that's where that line ends. You know, that's that's where like that side of the spectrum stops. The other side of the spectrum would be, you know. Uh, Probably, you know, Kevin Smith movies. No, uh, something, you know, uh, Fast and the Furious or whatever, you know, something, you know, there's this, you get to see kind of both lines of it where I'm sure there's movies with worse, worse dialogue than Fast and the Furious and there's movies with better dialogue than, than Wes Anderson. But what I mean is the poetry of Anderson sits at that exact line before it starts getting into that super pretentious kind of, um, death playing chess stuff, which I know at the time I, sh I shouldn't be referencing Bergman, but, um, at the time that was different, but I mean, now like there's that he's like dangerously close to the student film line where it's so filled with emotion and everything is so fucking poignant that it's almost unwatchable. You know, he's not so close to that, but what I mean is like, he's, he's the height of that, of, of the positives that people are trying to go for when they write, you know, shitty poetry or make a uh, college film. He's the height of that. He's what you would search for. He's like, that's the, that's the, that's the pinnacle. That's the mountain. And then, you know, then there's like Gummo, which is, you know, the fuck you, you piece of shit. I gotta hate that movie. I hate everything that man's made, I think. But I can only really think of Gummo and kids and both those kind of annoyed me. Anyway, 
Actually, in the 90s, it kind of liked kids. Just gummo annoy me. Pretentious nonsense. Anyway, sorry. Uh, so that is that answer. Yes, screeners and dialogue and me. Yeah, it would be uh, Wes Anderson. Who else? I like... I'm fond of uh, Tarantino's dialogue as well. I'm not a big... Like, I like Tarantino movies. I, 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 I'm, I'm a, I, I don't even want to say I'm a fan because I'm not a fan. But I enjoy them when I've seen them. But it's not something I search out. You know, I've... I've there's some that I've maybe only seen once, but I do like I do like the way that he can kind of make everything hip and sexy. Um, that's kind of cool because it it doesn't bother me. Like it's not it's not like because at one point he actually says like "Daddy O" and you know uh, Uma Thurman does like the "Don't be a square" and they draw, she draws the square with her fingers. It's it's so stylized and it's kind of fun, you know. So I can kind of I can kind of dig on that. I like that. I like. Yeah, I kind of like the perfection of the style there. Like, I, yeah, that's that's cool because it doesn't it doesn't cross that line where it's just like, oh, would you please shut up? It's you know because there's that line where it's almost like not the movie Swingers, but your friends after Swingers came out where everybody kept saying everything was money, and you're like, I want to stab your eyes out with the closest available fork. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. So it was almost like the Wes Anderson to pretension is is uh, is Quentin to over hip. You know, where everything's daddy-o, kitty cat, and, you know, just whatever the hell people say. I, I, I don't know what's been hip since the word hip was hip. Back then we wore onions on our belts. That was the style at the time. Called Nichols Bees. You say two bees for a, I, I'm misquoting The Simpsons. What a fucking surprise. Much like when I was writing that first script many, oh, those, low those many years ago and misquoting The Simpsons in it, I, have nothing to finish out. Cool. Well, thank you for the question. Bricks and bullets. Just the letter N. Bricks and bullets. I don't um know what that means, but it's a good enough name. Easy to remember. Snappy. You can dance to it. Casey Kasem would like it if he wasn't too busy moaning in the back of a really disturbing phone call. I don't know if you guys heard that. There was a... Apparently Casey Kasem's wife um, threw a raw hamburger at someone and it is just the weirdest story ever. I'm not going to go over it because, well, frankly, I'm 33. So Casey Kasem meant about as much to me as he's the voice of Scooby-Doo, you know, that show that was on before I was born. So his second career was still previous to my birth. But uh I know he's, you know, somebody. I don't know if he was the world's youngest teenager, if that was the other guy. I don't know. Either way, I just don't like people to change their last name because they're afraid of their ethnicity. <laughs> I'm just assuming his last name was like Casarian uh, uh, or something. Uh, yeah. Was, uh, I like you slay yourself. What else can we do? Uh, we're actually pretty much at the end of the episode. Right, well, I'll try to fit in a couple more. I don't want to... Why do people always call in? I don't talk about... Alright, fine. Um, oh, I can ask that. So... Lisa, jars underscore of underscore awesome. Very lovely woman. Don't let my ugh and uh, signs of disgust bother you. I just, I'm tired of talking. I just, yeah, forget it. Too much to go to. It, I'm just kind of bored of, uh, I'm bored of what people find racy. Like, I'm bored of uh, when people are like, you know, like anything they would get that response of like, ooh, on a sitcom. I don't even know if they still do that in sitcoms. I haven't watched one in a while. I probably, you know, at, at times I've been, um, you know, kind of uh, accused of being rather prudish uh, or Amish in some of my 
some of my um, views towards sexuality or views towards you know that part of the, that part of humanity. But it's not like I it's not like I didn't try. It's just it's just I don't find it particularly funny unless it's awful. That's that's what I'm trying to say here. This is a better way to put it. Is that I can't I can't I can't seem to cull any humor from anything sexy unless it's self-effacing or just horrible. Uh, so either, you know, uh, some kind of terrible molestation joke or talking about the, the like in one episode of, of this very show, I talked about my dick looking like a mangled bubble gum uh, uh, set into a, a, like a, a robin's nest or something. I don't remember what the fucking phrase was, which to be fair, I think I actually stole that from something. Yeah. So anyway, so when I say I don't want to talk about this stuff, that's exactly what I do. So anyway, so jars underscore of underscore awesome asked me three questions. These are the three. How big do you think Jack's white Jack White's dick is? Jack White being the lead singer to the White Stripes. Have you ever had sex in a lake? And what's your favorite kind of pie? Um, I would have no idea, but Jack White, um, Jack White is one of the people that I have been told I look like uh, by more than one person. Though weirdly enough, um, uh, a girlfriend type person has said I look like Jack Black, which is very confusing to me because I don't think Jack Black and Jack White look alike. So I believe myself to be some kind of gray. And I mean that as a gray alien. I have large black eyes and I often um, abduct you while sleeping. So, but uh, Jack White, he's, I believe he's tall. Um, um, even though I've gone into the show in depth, how I've read studies about how height and foot, hand, and all that other size is not a corollary to dick size. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, uh, probably anywhere between four to seven inches. I think that's what I've read the average is, um, somewhere in there. Uh, four seems low. You know, it's probably five to seven, right? Because that's three. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, infrared sex in a lake. Uh, I did, no, but I, in 1997, I did have sex with Ricky Lake, the talk show host. Uh, she had, she and I had a passionate love affair on the set of Cabin Boy, the Chris Elliott movie. I was on set playing the mizzen mast. <laughs> What's my favorite kind of pie? Uh, I love pumpkin myself. That was that was me doing Lisa's voice because that sounded like Lisa. My favorite kind of pie goes like this: the first one and only first place. And though there is a close second, but I love key lime pie. I don't know that I love key lime pie. I don't know that it's my my love. Like I I I love it in its first place, but I think it's because I have it so incredibly infrequently that I think the the novelty of it is adding points. But second place, and this is a close second, is apple pie. Like warm apple pie with some kind of like like some kind of ice cream type thing on it. It's fucking fantastic. Really, really good stuff. I mean, lovely. I haven't had one of those in. I don't know. I couldn't even tell you how long. Uh, I haven't been... Yeah, I don't know. It's been a while. So, uh, key lime pie. That's the answer. So I can delete those from the list. Yay. Uh, and that's... Yeah, that's it. Cool. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm going to call attention to one more thing. Um, stop saying um, you umming, um, 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 um. My brother, Craig, who has been on the show episodes, whatever ones they were, around Halloween, two episodes in a row, sent me a, this link. And for some reason, it's in 
Some language I don't know. Oh, no, there's the English. White guy gets plastic surgery to look Korean. So we're looking at, um, the, from the Korean Herald. There's this, uh, this is white kid. He looks like normal white dude. Um, blue eyes, spiky kind of, um, teen boy band kind of hair. I suppose he'd be attractive. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think if you're, I don't know how old he is, but if he's like a, like a really young man, yeah, he's probably like a good looking kid. So he got, um, uh, a bunch of plastic surgery to look Korean. Looking Korean for this kid is, it's as, it's as if he killed his face. It's as if he's wearing his own death mask. Have you ever seen that video on the internet of that lady with the face paralysis that was in the hospital and then she smiled and her teeth were all made of razors and she like killed the whole hospital and it was horrible? I mean, it's like some urgent uh, urban meth. His face is kind of like that. It's um, it's a plastic soulless thing and it, and it makes me sad. So anyway, Cosmetic procedures such as silicone implants, lip surgery, and other augmentations are nothing unusual in Brazil. But the 25-year-old man went a step further to transform himself into Asian-looking man by making altercations to his eyes. Xi'an, uh, who asked not to be named to protect his family uh, internet scrutiny, underwent 10 procedures on his eyes, along with other less invasive procedures, which cost him around $3,100. Really? That's it? Wow. Surprising. He began wearing contact lenses to change his eye color. Originally blue-eyed with blonde hair, he became in interested in having plastic surgery after spending some time as an exchange student in Korea. He was inspired by how common plastic surgery is here. Koreans may have many surgeries to modify the shape of their eyes to become more like Westerners. It was easy to tell one of them had it done, walking in the street wearing sunglasses and a surgical mask, he said. I have no regrets. I don't intend on having any more procedures. Well, good for you. I'm putting this, and I don't, I don't like putting things up there. Call attention to someone that, I mean, to me, probably had some kind of um, emotional issues here, but it's, it is a creepy fucking picture. Um, it is, yeah, don't, if anybody in the audience is thinking about having plastic surgery, don't, um, unless you're like really, here's the thing, unless you're so confident in yourself that you know that you're doing it for like, from a good place, like you're doing it from a place of, well, this is my studied opinion that this one thing will actually, you know, make me feel better about myself, that I'm totally confident. I'm good. I would be happy without it, but I feel like this would change me. Yeah. You know, you maybe, maybe plastic surgery is a fit for you. However, if you're the type of person that wants to get plastic surgery. You should probably work on getting the self-esteem first and then thinking about plastic surgery. And I bring that up like, for example, me, I have thought about plastic surgery before. Not, not thought about it, but I was, I was talking about this earlier today and it, it occurred to me that I kind of, I was thinking my face so it, it slipped my mind, but like, I have thought about uh, liposuction in my life. I am a heavy man, not hugely heavy, but you know, I carry too much weight. It's all in my stomach. And I, I exercise rather frequently. I eat well, but it just, I can't make that go away. So the thought has been, if I get that liposuctioned out, I would feel a lot better about myself, yada, yada. But it occurs to me that I have incredibly low self-esteem. And I would just find something else to hate about me. And then I would probably think, oh, maybe I'll get to take care of that. And the next thing I know, I've got a thinner nose. I've raised my eyebrows. I've lowered my brow somehow, like, because I have a giant forehead. So I'd probably try to find some way to surgically fix that. 
And then, uh, I, you know, the next thing I know, I'm just on this path of getting everything fixed. Then I'll turn into, I'll turn into some, I'll turn into Jian, the Korean man. I'll be Alex Jian, but with two X's. Yeah. It, yeah. So don't do that to yourself. But, you know, if you're, if you're actually like, you know, like if I, if I had like everything else was like great and, uh, and then, and then uh, I was like, oh, I have some money. Like it, I, you know, maybe I'd think about like, think about some kind of hair thing so my forehead isn't giant. Cause it really bothers me. I really hate my forehead a lot. I mean, I hate everything else, but especially the forehead. And, uh, and I, we haven't decided this. I was talking to somebody about that today. The person I referenced earlier that whether or not fixing your teeth counts as plastic surgery. No, I don't mean getting veneers or something. I, I need to get my wisdom teeth removed. And, um, I just don't have enough space in my mouth. Like my teeth are too close together. Like I feel like I need braces of some kind to like make them draw outwards. Like they kind of lean in, if that makes sense. It sounds like I have a horrible mouth. Like you wouldn't even notice. Like it's, it would be impossible. Like unless you're my dentist or my tongue, you would never know. Like I just look like a regular, I look like an averaged, uh, uh, white guy mouth. I look like Jack white, black mouth. Um, though I am assuming those guys have really nice teeth because they're in the entertainment business. However, pressing on, I would get that done. This is a really boring segment. Shut the fuck up, Alex. I liked where I was going with the Korean thing, and then I started talking about me like an asshole. So I'm not going to do that anymore. But I have thought about it. And, you know, I'm not sure, uh, you know, where that goes from here. But I think this was a fun episode. We proved that we create our own realities. I'm a gray alien. Um, Pi is good. And Amy Tan is a coincidence machine. My book causes people to find orange plastic dinosaurs in gutters. And, um, I finally admitted to having emotions that, uh, towards other people that are not, uh, uh, you know, adoration at a distance or, uh, self-hatred. So I think this was a good episode and I want to thank you guys for coming on this journey with me. Uh, yes, I will be back. Actually, this comes out on Tuesday. So, to, uh, tomorrow, actually it'll come out Monday night, but Wednesday, the June, the day that Wednesday falls on June the um, 4th, 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Um, the other one, Eastern, uh, we're going to do a live Alex slash whatcast to talk about the HARP facility in Alaska. Should be good. So check us out on Twitter at the AlexCast. They're at the whatcast. Check me out though. And then I'll, I'll tell you about it. Fuck those guys. They ask for too much already. They're like selling their shit. They're like, Ooh, buy my comic books, bunch of assholes. Uh, by that, I mean, you know, shut up. You'll hear about it on a Wednesday. Yeah. So that'll be fun. And, uh, yeah, I will see you next week. Thank you all for listening. Please go to alexcast.com and click everything you can find. If you click the Amazon link before you buy Amazon stuff it really helps me out. Cause as I mentioned earlier in the show, usually can't afford rent. Click the audible link. If you want a free audiobook, you get to keep it. You can cancel at any time. I get 15 bucks if you do that, which uh, again, if all of you did that, I could afford like multiple rents and I'd be happy. Uh, yeah, that's a bit it. Click Stitcher, leave reviews on Stitcher, leave reviews on iTunes, unless you don't like the show, then don't do that at all. I don't want to hear it. Five stars. That's what I want. I want to be bathed. I want to be bathed in your compliments. I want my glory to shine forth from iTunes from on high. And I say, lo, Alex speaketh unto thee comments on the internet that are positive. And then, you know, somebody will godwin the thread and act like a misogynist. But it'll be fun while it lasted. Anyway, yes, that has been it. I've been Alex, you have been the audience, and this has been The Boat Trip.
uh, from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, which I'm not going to play right now, actually. I used to sing that on the show pretty often in the early days. That You know, uh, the, the there's no earthly way of knowing. But I'm not going to do that because I already did the Music Makers thing. So, which I'm glad I said because now I remember that I have to put that in. Yeah, so that is it. Thank you very much for listening. Um, to all of you, namaste. To one of you, zip zip. <laughs>